Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Colby Cast, your place for community and conversation about pop culture and storytelling. We're back with another episode of The Marvelous Miss Marvel. Only this time, the Colby Cast tricycle is missing a wheel. We are a bicycle this week. Luke is out on an adventure and is unable to join us for this episode. So, Caleb, I know that it's usually a two-person job, but it's up to you to make me uh, look good this time. That's a difficult task. You got heavy lifting to do today, buddy. <laughs> but welcome back. Tandem bikes are the worst. They are. They they are not. Uh, they're not easy. Don't do it. If you're out there and you're thinking of a tandem bike or like one of those six-person things that you can rent by the beach, don't do it because it's always like two people that are doing all the work, right? Yeah, and then it's always just one person. So have fun. <laughs> All right, so let's do this. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Ms. Marvel episode five, time and again. Uh, if you haven't watched it, hit pause and go do so because we're gonna be talking spoilers. Uh, so, Caleb, how did you like the episode? What were your general thoughts? General thoughts. <laughs> um, I liked it. I liked how heavy it was. I caught myself as soon as the partition scene ended, looking to see how much time was left in the episode. And although it was a short episode, I felt like that was a very necessary um, timeline that they went back. It went back into in time for uh, episode four and then coming into episode five. It was now explaining why they went back in time. And now you got to you got to meet Aisha and you got to see what really happened. And then you got to see why Nani had the stars. And I just thought it was so incredibly beautiful. And just bringing back the printed photo, which I didn't know those were even a thing. I'm totally kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, and bringing it back for Nani and just seeing her reaction. I just thought it was just so beautiful. I really, really enjoyed the the history and the storytelling of this episode. Yeah, that that was... I love the word that you used to describe it because it was beautiful. It was, it was a beautiful episode. Um, I have a fun fact, though that actually ties back into episode three where we got that flashback originally where they found the bangle. And I don't know how this isn't being talked about more, but I noticed it uh, when I was reading a little bit about this episode and that, that place, they called it a temple, right? They referred to it as a temple. There's a shot that shows them from the top. So it's like a top-down shot. It's right when the British started to attack after Aisha showed up, or after Aisha showed up, and she put on the bangle, and that whole thing happened. They hear the British starting to attack, and they and they shoot downwards from the top, and they're all standing on ten rings. That is a ten rings temple from Shang-Chi. Had you heard anything about this? Not at all. Absolute radio silence. I didn't know that was a thing at all. Yeah, That's so cool. I didn't either. So yeah, you can look, go back, check out episode three in that scene, and there's st- it's clear. It's not even like people making stuff up. It's clear that they're standing on the floor has the ten rings symbol from Shang Chi on it. So interesting, a little um, Easter egg, I guess. Maybe if you want to call that, I would definitely call it an Easter egg. I would say that would be a an acceptable uh, cameo. Because I will say I was a little disappointed in this episode because there were no Ant Man references. So that's true. You're right. Maybe the first one was it? Yeah, it may have been the first one. So they even figured out how to make an Ant Man reference last week in uh, in in Karachi, right, with the mural on the wall. But yeah, no no Scott Lang rep today. 
on this on this episode. Um, I agree with you about the speed of the episode. For for me, it was just really fast. Even though it was the shortest of the series so far, um, I caught myself being so enthralled by Aisha and Hassan's story, and then their their run, you know, and then Kamala showing up. To me, it was so it was really just gripping. And it made the episode episode go by so fast. And even it didn't slow down for me until uh, I believe they were back in uh, in Nani's house. That's when I paused it and realized, oh, my gosh, it's almost over. And part of that is, yeah, it was shorter than than uh, other episodes. But still, I was just gripping storytelling for me. Uh, one of the things, another thing I really enjoyed was the sepia tone Marvel logo. When the Marvel logo, when they're showing all the the characters and and just right in the beginning, yeah. and then it starts turning like brown and old, and that's when the um, the newsreel started, right? So I thought that that was a cool a cool um, touch. And f- another fun fact that I just found out today: our boy Moon Knight is now represented in those characters that they show. Have you seen him yet in that Margot logo reveal? Yeah, I did. I, I really like that they are keeping it current. I am also hoping that they have a little mix-up like they did with the Kenobi series, saying it was like, oh, here's the, the series conclusion, right? And then it wasn't. <laughs> so I'm hoping there'll be more. I'm hoping that someone will accidentally slip in a different character that hasn't had anything released yet. And we'll be like, oh, look at that, look at that. <laughs> that would be funny. Everybody, everybody would screenshot that and the internet would crash. But yeah, he's right in the M of the Marvel Studios as it's turning into Marvel Studios. You see him turn like like he did in the um first episode when when steven first sees him so anyway this is not an a moon night episode i just <laughs> got excited because i didn't realize until this week that he was in that so good on him uh and then another cool touch i thought was uh how almost every one of the title cards were in urdu mm. instead of um uh, the first one was Miss Marvel, and then it was all Urdu, so I thought that was cool. And then another thing I, I found out about was on one of those, because they flash so quickly, one of them is black and white, and if you freeze frame it quickly enough, on the bottom it says Sloth Baby Productions. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last thing I wanted to share before we get into the actual meat of the episode, and I, I didn't know really where to put this in the episode, uh, but I thought that this... <laughs> that this scene was really charming and fun was so we're going to jump ahead a little bit but I just wanted to highlight this scene when uh the mom when when Kamala's mom Muniba is really freaking out cuz she can't find she's calling Kamala is not answering and she just doesn't know what to do <laughs> and then the cousin oh well first before we get to the cousin the <laughs> nani tells tells Kamala's mom uh, well, what was the dog's name? I can't remember. Mag- Mag- Magnus? I think so. Magnus. When Magnus got out, I just my- I had a microchip and I just found him. <laughs> and then the mom says, if it were legal, I would do that too. <laughs> so funny. But then uh, the other part that was really great about that scene was when the cousin just nonchalantly said, oh, just look up the find, find your phone on your family plan. It's such a young person's solution to an old person's problem. I just, I had to laugh. I just thought that was very funny. Yeah, her reaction to this newfound information was pretty gold, too. She just goes, she's like, well, an invasion of privacy? Let's do it right now. Hurry up. Help me. <laughs> I think she said, well, why didn't I know about this before? Something like yeah. that. <laughs> As a parent, I, feel, I felt her pain. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into it um, in, uh, in earnest here. 
Uh, I wanted to talk quickly about the opening news reel. I really loved that uh, the way that they showed us that history. Um, I, I really love how the show is informing the audience on this on this specific historical event and why it's important to the world today and also to these characters specifically. And I thought it was a really effective way and very smart because they could have spent a lot more time showing it to us. Like we saw, we saw that small section at the train station, but this was a really, really effective way. A very interesting way. I thought visually as well as storytelling, uh, how, how to just to set up the context on a bigger scale because that played into and was important to Aisha and Hassan's story that we were going to see here, too. So what did you think about that? Uh, remind me the, the director's name of Ms. Marvel. Do you remember? There's a, uh, I don't remember the director's name. That's okay. Um, I think it's just really, really important. Not only to the show, but like I've mentioned it in past episodes that we've recapped. Um, it's a it's a story. It's a it's a real historic moment in real life that they're now bringing into the MCU, and I and me personally having the background that I have, I have no history with Pakistan or yep. or uh, or how the British invaded any of that. Yep. I really only learned what I needed to learn in grade school and high school, whatever, just to get the grade and be done. I just think it's so important for our our day and age today. For the culture to be understood and accepted. And it to me, it's arguably why I've liked this new phase more than the phases in the past for the MCU. Because before, you could just turn it on and shut off your brain and just be in a comic book. You could be in any sort of universe you wanted to be. Now, it's bringing in real aspects and including real people, real cultures, real backgrounds. And for it to be something that is playing such a giant part in this show in general, I just think it's fantastic. I like stories in general, and especially when they have just such real aspects. It has a deeper appreciation in my book, and I wish the rest of the, the MCU and all the fans, new fans, old fans, were able to appreciate it the same way because it's a real historic thing and a real, real story. Yeah, I agree. I, I couldn't agree more, and it's just... a. Uh really very effective way, I think, to teach people that aren't familiar with this culture, with this history. Um, it's a, it's an effective way to teach people about that, right? And that's why stories are so awesome, because we're getting to know... Now, obviously, this is a fictional story based around this historic event, right? Um, so it's not like we're sitting in a history class and we're, you know looking at primary sources and writing essays and stuff, this is, this is a different thing. But it's still, th there's a huge segment of society that's not going to do that. But there's a large segment of society that's going to watch this show and be in sort of a similar situation to us as in that this is a new, this is new material for us. This is something that's a, a culture that we're learning about through the people that are making the show. And I, for one, believe that they are taking a lot of care to make sure that the accuracy is there and that they're not representing a culture that they clearly love. Yeah. Uh, so it's really, really enjoyable and enriching for me, and I know for you and, and for many people, uh, to see this very unique aspect at the MCU. And I think 
this is one of the most unique stories that we've been treated to from the MCU. You know, and and there's been other cultures represented. They've been really good at opening those doors and and becoming um, much more inclusive in that type of storytelling so that people can learn about that, um, about other cultures and that kind of thing. I just think that this show is super effective at it. It it reminds me of Coco, the animated movie. You get to see the people in the background who take care of the small details and the storyline and all this different stuff and the true care and um, basically detail orientation that they have because of their love for their culture and their love for trying to tell a story that may have never fallen on someone's lap if it wasn't for this wonderful show, really. Yeah, I love that. I love the the Coco um, example because I really feel the same way. They did a wonderful job representing... um, uh, Mexican culture in that film, and it's one of the reasons why I love it so much. Um, so let's go to Aisha and Hassan, though, because we go from the newsreel, which is a real macro-level kind of perspective, and then we go into a micro-level perspective, because here we are now in the story with these fictional characters. We see Aisha running away from this British soldier. She daggers him right through the heart, and she's lethal, right? She's running barefoot. I didn't even realize it on the first watch, but... When I rewatched it, she's running, she's just trucking, and she's barefoot, getting away from this guy. She finds her way into Hassan's village, uh, and, you know, I won't go through point by point. I just wanted to speak real generally about this part of the story and their courtship and the way that the story was handled. And I really thought that it was so charming and so filled with love. And I even, I really loved how they showed with the passage of time as well. So in literally in one scene, she's sleeping in his rose garden and he goes out and he's clearly a kind man, but one that also has his um, beliefs and his strong convictions. I mean, he's out there in the streets talking to a, gr- a group of people when she first sees him. So he's courageous, but he's also kind. And he goes and he approaches her in the Rose Garden and it shows how she is. She's ready to defend. She's not going to be taken advantage of in in any way. But then next thing we see, you know, they're having a a meal together. He's offering her food. And then the third scene in this story now that we're being shown is um, they have clearly been together because they just show them talking. And then they pan down and we see that she's pregnant. And I think that that was such an effective way to show they're really just giving us what we need to know. And the way that they're doing it was in such a really loving and beautiful way to see these two people um, grow a life together. And I mean, Aisha has this whole backstory that Hassan knows nothing about and doesn't care about it because all he all that matters to him is her. Right. And I thought that that was beautiful. And she chose to stay and build this family with uh, with him. Obviously, they had their baby. And then next thing we know, Najma shows up and things get complicated. So let's, uh, up to that point, I mean, those are really my thoughts on, on that. I just thought it was a really effective way to show this couple's uh, early early start. What did you think? I really liked it. I liked that they didn't have to show year by year. They didn't show... Like, there wasn't words on a screen to explain to you what you are already seeing. And I really like that because you can see in other Marvel movies where they're going from timeline to timeline, especially in Endgame and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I liked that you could... You didn't have... 
there's no questions that are raised there. Just answers being given to you. And I think it's a really good visual storytelling that helps move the storyline along, but also giving you a really good background into the potentially complicated relationship that they that Aisha would have had, but it just went sort of seamlessly. And I think the the perfect example of it was uh, her giving the 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 cane, saying, yeah. "Hey, let's use one that's actually helpful for you." <laughs> And then he responds and goes, oh, yeah, you're giving me something that's supposed to help my leg. When I first met you, you're threatening to break them. Yeah. And I just thought it was so beautiful. They had, they had wonderful chemistry. And I have to give a shout out to uh, Jen Bankard uh, and her uh, Substack, uh, The Long Take, um, which she's doing episode recaps to reviews uh, on this. And, and hers this week was especially um, uh, detailed. And, and she brought up the fact that these two actors apparently are superstars in India. They're just like cream of the crop over there. Um, Mewish Hayat is uh, Aisha and Fawad Khan is Hassan. And they are two truly accomplished celebrities in India. And apparently the internet is is loving it too. People that have known who they are for a long time, now they're these two, this power couple in the MCU that is a lineage of Miss Marvel. So that's a fun fact. So thanks, Jen, for uh, bringing that out to everyone's attention. That is so uh, cool. Yeah, I thought that that was... Because that I've, never, I've never seen them before. I don't know who they are, but I thought that they were remarkable. And you know, well done because yeah, clearly, clearly they are remarkable because they have very accomplished careers. Uh, so we have the meeting with Aisha and Najma in the, in the field. Um, ironically, if I'm reading it right, or if I'm looking at it right, I think they met out in the Rose garden, right where Aisha and, and Hassan met. So that's yeah. sort of poetic. Um, so she gives her until, uh, until sundown the next day to, to produce the bangle um, and I, I think you brought up a good point that up to this point, we were getting all answers, right? With uh, I think that was a really good thing to highlight with Hassan and Aisha. We got answer, 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 answer. But then when Najma comes in, we have questions that we still don't have answers to. And, you know, why doesn't Aisha want the bangle to fall into Najma's hands? We don't really have an answer to that, right? Why does Najma feel like she was betrayed by Aisha I, I get the I get that probably because she disappeared for however many years it was. Maybe we're looking at four or five year period, I guess, from forty two to forty seven. So right, five years. So sure, that could be a betrayal. But is there more to that? Is there is there more to that betrayal or not? We don't know yet. Um, so when Najma arrives, this is when the questions start coming in, because now Aisha's like, "We're out of here. We got to go." Hassan doesn't question it, and I think that it's a beautiful reflection of his love for her and trust. Uh, because he is wondering what's going on, and she's using partition as the uh, or the impending partition as the excuse to get out of here, but she has her own reasons, right? So then we move into the train station and we start to see this massive um, familial story start to play out for the cons because this is what was being discussed at the dinner table in episode two or three, whatever that one was. This is the family mythology now that we're seeing playing out in front of us. Uh, so we, we get through that and just a couple, just a couple thoughts from me, more, more like questions. Uh, I just wondered, did Aisha, did Aisha summon Kamala? Cause it seemed there was something definitely going on. Once Najma finds Aisha, 
she stabs her, right? And she's dying. She's going to die. She's got that picture. She sees that picture, and she keeps saying the line from the poem that Hassan shared with her, which is on the bangle, what you're seeking is seeking you. And then her eyes glow. And then the next thing we see is Kamala. So was Aisha, she's magic, clearly, right? She's She's got some kind of magical quality to her. My question was, and it doesn't even need an answer. It's just a rhetorical question. We don't have an answer to it. it did she bring Kamala to that moment um, in the long grand scheme of things? It's the beautiful thing about time loops. <laughs> we don't know. We don't even need an answer. It's just there. Uh, the other thing that I wondered about was when Kamala showed up, she got, she spoke to, to Aisha and then she went on to go save her nani, Sana. She found her and she tried to help her by making her hard light and jumping up on it, but she fell. And then we get the stars, right? We see the stars, little Nani, Sana, she reached out and I wondered, is she just reaching out because they're pretty and they're sparkly and she, and that's what any normal child would do, uh, Oh, you know, a wonderful child with their imagination. Well, what is this? Or is she controlling them? Is she, cause she's got to, she's got to have magic too. Or is she controlling them? So that was just another question because she does say, uh, at the end of the episode again, that their family is magic. So she has the magic too, but, um, it's a heartbreaking scene, but it's also a very captivating scene. I thought it was, was really interesting, just the whole way that it played out. But those are a couple questions I had. How, how about you? What did you think about this part? I really liked the scene with the hard light. Um, she goes, sorry, Nani, I don't have stars. I just have circles. And then, although it was sort of like spot on, I wasn't surprised when uh, Kamala was the savior and the reason the stars happened. But I just thought it was so, like... Not necessarily poetic. I just thought it was really, really... I keep using the word, but I just thought, really thought it was, it was beautiful. Because, it's satisfying. Yeah. I agree. I, I didn't... I didn't... I wasn't surprised at this at this point now, but when it happened and how they displayed it for us was just super satisfying. Yeah. And you can see desperation from Nani's father, whose name I can never remember. But um, you can also see desperation in Kamala's eyes. She's like, yeah. okay, I need to get this done. I need to make sure this continues. And whether she knows it or not, she's helping save her timeline, her, her, her heritage, yeah. her, her livelihood, really. Um, and then her literal life, really. Yeah. And to me, the first thing I thought of when all of that happened was the photograph that she now has in her pocket. And she takes back to her Nani when she comes back to real time and I forget what they say, but they're trying to pack up all this stuff before they leave. And they say, oh, we have our memories now. We don't need real things. We yeah. just have our memories. And I thought it was really nice to be able to see Kamala be like, oh, hey, Nani, this is for you. And just connect the dots for Nani. She's like, oh, wow. Like I just thought that was really awesome. Yeah, another really effective use of things, right? Like I, I talked about Deborah Chow's use of things in The Mandalorian and Obi-Wan. Kenobi series. This is a, another one of those moments where that picture means so much because they earned it. They earned it through the conversations that Nani had with Kamala with the painting. And she said, this is at least what I remember of her. She doesn't have a picture. And then um, when she sees her mom is just uh, such a heartwarming and beautiful moment. So yeah, let's, let's get into the, to the present, to the present day. Um, 
very interesting things happening in that scene before uh, Mom and, and Nani show up. So we go back to present day, and one of the clandestines, um, Fariha, goes uh, up to the veil, right? So we see this tear in between dimensions, and she goes up, and she immediately wants to... She's thinking, this is my doorway home. She goes, and she gets this, like, purple sort of, like, cocoon, crystal-ish... I'm not sure what to call it. I'm leading to something, but I'm not going to get there quite yet. And next thing you know, it just crumbles down to the floor, and we see her skeleton, and she's clearly gone, at least in her human form. I don't know if we should think that she's dead or if she's been transformed into something. I don't know what to think. Uh, And then... You know, Najma is trying... Now she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to open this thing. And Kamala reasons with her and said, you know, you took Aisha's chance away from being with people that she loved. Think of your son, right? She appeals to her through Kamran. And then, so Najma approaches and again, um, you know, the subtitle under me right now should say confusion (laughs) or visible confusion because I'm not really clear on what happened and I don't really care. I don't need to know how things happened. I just know what happened. And somehow she transferred some kind of power through this rift, through the world, and it gets to Kamran. And now Kamran is imbued with some kind of bioluminescent power, right? He's now got glowy fists. And then same thing happens to Najma, where she turns into this hard, purplish kind of thing, and then it crumbles around her. We see the skeleton, and then, okay, I guess she's gone too. Um, A thought. And I know this is going way back, but we used to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a family. So everybody listening, if you haven't watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., skip ahead a ways because I'm going to talk about some spoilers for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But this show is like 10 years old. So if you haven't watched it, you're probably either not gonna or you've already been spoiled. But do you remember, Caleb, a, a, a character named Daisy? Yes. Do you remember she turned into a character that they ended up calling Quake? Yeah, I do. Do you remember the circumstances around that, her turning? If you don't, don't worry, because you were very young, I think, when you when this was happening. Vaguely, and I thought something about like the crystallized nature of their death to be familiar, but I didn't know why, so I'm excited to see what you say. Yeah, so it's not exact, and I'm not I'm not speculating on this. I'm just saying that it's an interesting visual um, parallel, parallel or coincidence. In quote, air quotes, uh, in that storyline where Daisy turned into Quake or got powers, they were exploring an inhuman uh, type of story where there was uh, Terrigen. Uh, released into oceans and then it was being um, consumed by people and and fish. And then if you touched this, I think it was a crystal uh, or you were exposed to Terrigen mist, I believe is what it was. If you were an inhuman, you got cocooned up in this rock hard type of crystallized cocoon. And if you survived it, you came out with powers. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because number one, visually, it's very similar because both of these people got turned into these hard crystal type of cocoons. And secondly, Ms. Marvel in her comics 
is rooted in inhumans. She, she in the comics, and they're not beholden to stick to the comics. They're doing their own thing, and that's one of the reasons why I enjoy the MCU. But she got her powers through the Terrigen Mist. She got her powers because she's an inhuman. Mm. They haven't done anything with inhumans in the MCU and the Disney Plus shows or the movies, but they did with it with Agents of Shield. Now we don't know. Big question mark: Is Agents of Shield even? Does it even count in the MCU anymore? Is it just um, explained away by multiverse of madness kind of thing? Which is fine if it is. It's still a fun show and it was still very entertaining. But I just think it's really interesting that they went that route with eliminating quote unquote these characters, um, or at least making us think that they're dead by making them turn into what they turned into and then have it break away. So I don't know if they're flirting with the whole inhuman storyline of things, if that's something that they're setting up for for down the road. But I thought it was really interesting and just, you know, food for thought really is, is more than anything. Well, if you're right, I'm on the train with you. But if you're not, insert the old man yells at cloud meme. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the old man in that meme? Yes. I'll be happy to do that. Um, so beyond that, I mean, that's just sort of a little rant. It's just something that was interesting, some something to chew on. One, something that is more concrete that I really enjoy uh, is that she keeps on picking up pieces of her comic accurate super suit type of thing. And, and we get the red scarf now from the red dagger. Um, uh, and then we also see her mom pick up her necklace, which is now broken and turned into a lightning bolt type of thing, which is the the crest that she usually has on on her on her chest uh, in the comics. I was gonna bring that up, and I'm glad you did because I thought it was another thing that was like right in your face, not a surprise, but I thought it was really nicely done because that was a necklace that she always constantly wore, and now it's just morphed into this symbol that is known for Ms. Marvel. Yeah, um, and, and it leads me actually to a bigger point, and then the next scene in the in the show, which is, you know, in my notes, I've just sort of written down family fun, because now we get to go back to the apartment or the or Nani's house, and we see uh, and we see really these three generations of women have this wonderful reconciliation, and this is still by far, and and, and I enjoy, I'm enjoying this show tremendously, but this is my favorite part of the show is the emphasis on family. And, um, you know, I am, I'm enjoying the, the personal aspects of these, of these characters. I love the show's emphasis on family and on friends and on heritage. And I think that it's really cool how they're reflecting it in her acquiring pieces to her visual super suit. Um, Bruno is the one that made her, her mask. That's, you know, friend, right uh kareem's scarf right is is a link to her heritage is a link to her home her family's home where she's come from uh she's wearing the 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 lightning bolt however that turns into whatever they use f- going forward i mean her mom found it and it's clearly going to be an inspiration to her look and that was a, f- a family necklace a necklace that her family gave her so she's got the family tied into thing and i i just think that there's wonderful symbolism in all those things. So she's got something from her friend, she's got something from her family, and she's got something from her from her her heritage. And I think that that when we do see maybe a fully realized Miss Marvel super suit, I don't know what else to call it besides that, it's going to mean so much more because of those little details and I think that that's just really super super impactful and wonderful visual storytelling. 
I wonder if they'll still include the vest because when they're in the temple with the red daggers, they're like, okay, it's it's not this big protective thing, but in every thread there's history, and I thought it was really beautiful and it's just like it's a really nice vest yeah and now that she has the scarf that she doesn't wear on her face but that she does wear on her person in her comic uh suit i wonder if there'll be a a, a variation where she still has the vest or something of that sort yeah i i i think you're you're bringing up a really good point because of what was said about it so yeah it would be cool if that's uh you know and another piece that i didn't even mention before but that's also coming from walid who uh, was part of the Red Dagger? So another another piece of her heritage. So just really, um, you can see how much the people that are making this show, how important details are to them, and I think it it comes through uh, in a really wonderful way. So to end off the episode, we go back to New Jersey and we see Kamran finally learn Bruno's name. Yeah, about time. <laughs> And I loved Bruno's reaction. Was, yeah, well, I sort of picked up on the first four times. Yeah, Bru- a big deal. <laughs> Bruno's funny. So Bruno, you know, he takes him in, right? He wants to give him a place to stay for the night, but then he's like, no, I need to stay longer, and Bruno seems to be open to it. I like that it gives background to Bruno and why he's so close with Kamala, because she has her whole family. She has extended family. She has extended, extended family. Yeah. Bruno is just, it's just him, and it's confirmed in this episode. Um and unfortunately, now the Circle Q is now a little crispy, but uh, I'm glad that it gave a little bit of a connection between Bruno and Kamran. Um, but I'm curious to see if if Kamran's still good. Mm, so yeah, that we'll, was that was we'll that was something that I that I caught on to as well. I, a thought that I had as well, like. So what's Kamran going to turn into? But before we get to I do have some questions, and you know, um, I'd like to hear if you have any as well. Before we do that, though, I, I just wanted to observe the Department of Damage Control. They really need to figure out how not to cause so much damage because they're, le- <laughs> they're leaving a lot of damage in their wake, and they're not very effective. And can, can they please find a better way to spy on people through their windows? I mean, they have this loud drone, right? I mean, we're talking about a world where Stark Tech exists and they clearly are not using it except for these drones that they've made dumb somehow the thing i'm curious about is bruno's never been a fan of Comron. so do question that i have for you is do you think in the time where in the time from where uh bruno sees Comron in the alley he's somehow notified uh department of damage control by the time they're up in the apartment that's a great question. That's what I had not thought about it, but just thinking about Bruno and his loyalties to Kamala, and he knows that Damage Control is no fan of this light girl, right, and is taking some extreme measures to find her. Um, I'm not sure he would do that, but that's an interesting thought. Maybe he doesn't know any better yet, and he is a little bit worried because we we know he doesn't he doesn't. Um, trust Kamran. Yeah. I know Kamran is a character in the comics and he does have powers uh, like they showed with his light, his hand lighting up like that. I don't know if he's a hero, anti-hero or villain though. That's what I do. I'm not sure. Which is sort of cool because I'd like to find out in the show. And again, they're not beholden to do anything that they've done in the comics because they're they're making it a very unique thing. So we'll see. We got one more episode to go. And that episode is either going to answer or not answer some questions that I have. And one of my questions to to 
come back at you with a question after yours is who's the villain here? The clandestines are gone from what we can understand, unless they are not gone. So maybe damage control are these are, will damage control be this antagonist? And what is it that this next, this last episode has waiting for us? I don't know. I think it's going to be one of Kamran or Bruno. Really? You think Bruno, you think something is um, nefarious about Bruno? I think he's unintentionally going to be an antagonist if he's going to continue to be like anti-Kamran because there's sort of like that, like a uh, male figure crush type rivalry between Kamran and Bruno, in my opinion, uh, for Kamala. But um, I don't know. It's an I, interesting I thought. I don't think it's going to be like a whole Thanos. There's a one unified villain in this <laughs> show. I think it's going to be a couple of maybe unintentional and maybe intentional um, antagonists. But I don't, I don't know that there'll be like one villain. Well, it's definitely an unresolved thing, and I like that. That's an interesting thought, so we'll see how that plays out. We definitely do have a Comron bruno um, thing going on. I would think that they're going to play into this last episode in some way, shape, or form, because Comron really is the last now of this clandestine. If the other ones are truly gone, and we know that the other ones died even before this happened because they either died at the hands of Walid or in that chase scene <laughs> when, when Kamala ran one of them over and then backing up in the truck. And you know she has a great history with driving. So. Yeah, she's an excellent backer-upper. Um, so that's these are some unresolved things. Another thing that is unresolved in my mind is uh, Nakia. We are going to need to have a clearing of the air, right? Because you were all Team Nakia last, last week, yeah. right? Because Kamala has not been a very good friend to her, and I agree with you, so... That'll be interesting to see how that what that turns into, if anything. Yeah, now she has her her place of leadership. Maybe she turns in mm-hmm. the the light girl because of the uh, the history surrounding all of that. So it's interesting. That's another interesting thought. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, and then the last thing that's this this is just a fun thought that I had is we know that next year there is a Captain Marvel sequel coming out. It's called The Marvels. We know that, that Kamala is going to be in that movie. I don't think that that's... I don't think that that's a question. I believe that that's a fact. Uh, if not already announced, it's just... Uh, you know, it's called The Marvels. So yeah. it's not only Captain Marvel, not just Carol Danvers. Are we going to get any kind of setup in this last episode? I think it would be fun, but not necessary. I think the the most likely because it's marvel will be a post credit scene where they end up like walking past each other and she geeks out or something uh, I, I say she walks past her as in like um kamala walks past carol danvers and just has a full-on like nerd out uh. sort of thing but i don't know <laughs> that they, they even have time to just wrap that into a very busy season finale yeah that's a good point it's a very good point and you actually made me think of wandavision because there was a post-credit scene in WandaVision, and it involved someone in the in the Miss Marvel universe or the the Marvel universe. <laughs> That's confusing. The Captain Marvel universe. <laughs> when uh, when at the end of I believe it was WandaVision that we saw this, um, we got a post-credit scene with Monica Rambeau. Now Monica Rambeau is the daughter of Maria Rambeau, who is Carol Danvers' best friend. We already have had her in a post-credit scene for WandaVision, so I wouldn't put it past some kind of a 
that'd be fun. I mean, I don't know. Like I, I, I go into these things with zero expectations. It's fun to talk about this a little bit, but not go too crazy. Got to have that moderation with the, uh, with the speculation. So we, we, we don't swim in those waters too much, but we'll see. We'll see in a few days if uh, this gets tied into set up for the movie at all. Um, all right. So are any final thoughts on the, on the, the episode or what's going forward? I'm excited to see how they wrap it up because this was definitely a, a get to know the character, not let's finalize the character. So I'm definitely curious to see what ending note they have for for all of us watching. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Colby Cast. Uh, let us know what you think about the show. And if you haven't checked out our summer playlist episode, it was really fun. So check that out and send us your choices on Twitter or Instagram or an email. Uh, I created the playlist on YouTube, YouTube Music, and Spotify, and you can find those links on the pinned tweet on Twitter and in the ColbyCast bio on Instagram. Uh, and I'll update the playlist whenever I get new suggestions, so, so send them to us. We want to keep that playlist growing. It's going to be a long summer, so we got to have a lot of summer songs, right? All right, well, thanks again for listening. We appreciate all of you. Take care. You can find The ColbyCast on Twitter and Instagram at TheColbyCast. If you're wordy, like me, you can send an email to thecolbycast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Colby cast, unless otherwise indicated. That'll do, donkey. That'll do.